This morning's reading comes from James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to First City Church. Uh, thanks for being present uh, with us this morning. For those less familiar with me, my name is Paul Gardner, and I serve as one of the pastors here. If you've been with us at some point in 2020, you know we're working our way through a sermon series called Habits of Grace. What we're doing is reflecting on how our spiritual habits and our spiritual practices, how they form us and have formed us. In essence, Scripture gives us practices and spiritual habits to form us in how we live as God's people. We're not doing them to earn God's favor, but we're doing them to grow in holiness and to grow in what is righteous. As Christians, this is what we want. So the past several weeks, we've been talking about things like prayer uh, and celebration and, and fasting. And we've been thinking about how to proactively incorporate those practices into our lives. So this morning, we're going we're to talk about the practice of confession. Now, we're not, what we're not talking about is confession of sin when you're confronted by someone when you're confronted by a situation and, and you awaken to sin in your life and you know you need to have an immediate response, although the principles could apply, we're talking about living our, our life as a Christian in a proactive manner, adopting habits where we regularly confess sin to, sins to God and regularly confess sins to one another. Now, if, you, if you're a Christian, you may think that your life should be free of sin, right? You, you started to follow Christ, and now that you've been following Christ, you shouldn't have to deal with sin anymore. You should be so much better than people who are not Christians. But the reality is, God's Word teaches us, no one is righteous. No, not one you will deal with ongoing sin in your life. The question really is, what are we going to do 
with that ongoing sin? How will we address it? Will we deny its impact in our life? I mean, there's a sense of, I'm a Christian. I've been saved. Jesus has forgiven my sin. That sin that I committed yesterday, it's not really a big deal. Will that, will that ongoing sin, will it, will it define me? Right, The way I gossiped yesterday, the way I was self-righteous, the, the way I walked in comparing myself with others, I'm such a failure. And so it determines how I view myself. Deny, define us, or, or do we dismiss God's grace? Rather than receiving the forgiveness we have in Christ... Do we try to earn forgiveness? Or is there, is there a way we interact with ongoing sin that proactive confession, it's an opportunity for us to grow in the gospel of grace and the faith we profess to believe? I, I know Pastor Chris said something to the effect last week that fasting may be the most difficult habit we discuss. I mean, because we don't, we don't do it. But I wonder about confession. Because in many ways, the habit of confession is hard. Because it is this ultimate declaration of our depravity. We're saying, I acted sinfully. I hurt others. I rejected God in his ways. I didn't want what God wants. And in that, I truly have nothing to offer. There is nothing I can do to be clean. There is nothing I can do to earn forgiveness. We, we are acknowledging how weak and needy we truly are. Unless we are grounded in the gospel, such a declaration of our depravity is not good news. So before I go further, let me remind us of a line that you may hear periodically at, at First City Church. Cheer up. You are far worse than you think you are. And cheer up because God loves you far more than you could ever imagine. In Christ, as we were singing earlier, there is no sin that could be committed or has been committed that does not wash clean in the cross. His grace is sufficient for us. It is far more amazing than we could ever imagine. Amen. So in, in light of confession being an ultimate declaration of our depravity, let me, let me briefly clarify what confession is not. C confession is not how we address all the mistakes we make. All examples of our frailty and, and, and humanity, they don't all need to be confessed to God or confessed to others. Because some of us get confused on this. Let me, let me give you an example acknowledging my own frailty. This was actually something I, I said the last time I preached. I had the pleasure of talking about celebration. And in that sermon... I referenced a, a 1960s song called Turn, 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 and I said it was sung by the Beatles. Most of you probably didn't catch my mistake. 
But there were older members of our church that did. Like uh, Jake White. They, they were quick to correct me and let me know it was not the Beatles, it was the birds. This was my mistake. Now, saying this, acknowledging this, this is not a declaration of depravity, but rather a mistake of youthful ignorance. <laughs> One is an issue of sin, the other reflects I'm a poor researcher, at least when it comes to songs from the 1960s. So in the passage read earlier, James chapter 4, the apostle is warning God's people about the presence of ongoing sin. And while he does not mention the practice of confession in this section of Scripture, his warning is setting the stage for something he will say in chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to one another. So I want to to look at his warnings about ongoing sin. I think it will help us understand how it sets the stage for confessing sin to God, confessing sin to one another, and how it is an ultimate declaration of our depravity. So as such, we will look how this passage clarifies three things we are declaring when we confess sins. One, I am a sinner. Two, I surrender my will to God. And three, my sin is sorrowful. So if you, if you do have a Bible with you, um, if you want to grab one from the table back there, go ahead and do that. Uh, if you have a Bible app, go ahead and open it up. Open it up. Uh, we will be primarily in James chapter 4. And we'll begin in verse 4. Here's what James says. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's begin with how this passage leads us to declare our depravity in that I am a sinner. James is confronting God's people about participating in ongoing sin. They're opposing the Lord and his ways in how they think and how they act and in what they choose to do. And he provides a contrast between two types of people. The proud person who trusts in self and the humble person who trusts in God. Now, we know there are are a number of ways pride plays itself out in a person. At one level, pride dismisses any need for God, any need for moral absolutes. I define truth. I define morality. I am the captain of my own ship. I am a God. I determine what is right and wrong. This type of of pride leads us to hold on to sinful practices. Or as James says, friendship with the world. We'll mention this as a barrier to confession later. But for now, I want to go a couple other directions in the way pride manifests itself in producing barriers to confession. If confession is the ultimate declaration, if it's a significant declaration of our depravity, There are some reasons we struggle to confess, barriers, if you will, 
to declare how messy we are and how needy and weak we are. I want to highlight those as we progress this morning. So barrier number one, pride manifested as performance. This is the the disposition where we dismiss our need for God's grace. We think highly of ourselves. Rather than relying on the Lord and his grace, we trust in achievements, self-sufficiency, self-reliance. When, when confronted with sin, we defend ourselves. We justify why we did what we did. Or we talk about how, hey, you know what? Next time I'll make sure I don't do that, and so I'm going to make it better. So we say things like, I will never do that again. If we do bring up our sin in conversation with others, it's along the lines of, hey, I'm going to tell you that this is a sin that I'm struggling with, but I'm going to tell you how also i got a plan to fix it. I don't want others to encounter my mess. This is actually one of my tendencies. I'll tell you about my sin, but when I do, I'll tell you the solution I'm using to beat it. When we do this type of thing, we're, we're demonstrating a reliance on self-performance rather than God's grace. Author, author Paul Tripp uses the term grace graduate to describe such a disposition. Listen, do you view yourself as a person in need of help? Do you seek to live more independently than you should? How do you respond when God sends someone your way to correct or confront you? Do you bolster yourself with evidences of your righteousness, or do you regularly look in the mirror of the word of God and admit how needy you actually are? Do you live with a sense of need for the heart-educating classroom of grace, or do you think of yourself as a grace graduate? Do you think others are needier than you. Grace graduates, they are people who trust in personal performance. At some point, they believed the work of the cross was sufficient to forgive their sins. Grace was sufficient. But as they progress in the Christian life, to be forgiven now, to to be clean now, you must be performing the right way. Performance doesn't solely rely on the work of the cross. The cross may play a part, but so does my work to earn God's grace and earn God's forgiveness. So one of the ways uh, some of you may have experienced this, I I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And I I remember one of the things, one of the the ways that, that we needed to to, to be viewed, to be clean, was to go to the, the practice of confession, to go before a priest, to, to make sure we confessed our sins. And, and then in, there was a task that was given along the lines of, hey, go say 10 Our Fathers or 10 Hail Marys. When you did that, then you were clean. Right? This, is, this is seeking forgiveness in performance. But the reality is, non-Catholics do this too. One of, one, of, one of your favorite movies, or at least one of your children's favorite movies, may be Frozen. And, and the line Elsa has is, don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. 
Put on a show. Don't make the wrong move, right? This is this, is this sense of you need to perform, you need to conceal, you need to be polished. You need to have it all together in order to be clean before others. What Tripp is saying, what the Apostle James is saying, such a disposition is opposed to experiencing and receiving grace. It will form you in ways that that lead to self-reliance and self-sufficiency. You will be independent. You will not have the freedom to be needy, and you will become isolated and alone. You will not experience what God has for you in his gospel of grace. And so pride manifested as performance will form us in harmful and destructive ways. But there's another way pride prevents us from declaring our depravity. Barrier number two is pride manifested as pity. In the book of 2 Corinthians, as the Apostle Paul references how he addressed ongoing sin in the church, he says this, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So the Corinthians, like us, they were kind of a messy bunch There was sexual sin, there was worship of idols, issues of greed. The Apostle Paul had written to them, we know he had written to them at least a couple different times, and challenged them. And they experienced what he called godly grief leading to repentance. This brought him joy. The thing he was concerned about was that his words of challenge, rather than produce godly grief, they'd produce something called worldly grief. This is how pride can manifest itself as pity. It's not that this person isn't trusting in performance, but but the, the, the thing here is they are very aware of how their performance has failed. Yet they're still very focused on self. They're still very much reliant on their Effort. They're focused on the eyes and the me's. And so in their failure, they say things like, no one could ever forgive me. I could never forgive myself. I can't believe I did this. Why can't people just forgive me? They see the brokenness of their sin primarily in relation to the world how it has affected worldly relationships. But they fail to see how the brokenness of their sin reveals their need for a savior. So so let's talk about the person who's prone to lying or cheating in your home. Maybe maybe that person is you. When that person is caught, there's a level of sorrow that they experience. But they're sorry for the consequences. They experience regret and remorse. 
The word confession, what it means is we agree with God. When we confess our sin to God, what we're confessing is that we need a Savior. We can't trust in ourselves anymore. We can't trust in our performance. The person who confesses their sin, they see their depravity. Confession is a declaration. I'm not righteous in and of myself. I'm not worthy. I need to be saved. I am not a grace graduate, but for the grace of God, I would be lost. In the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the prophet expresses such a disposition when he encounters God's holiness. In response to this encounter, he understands the depth of his sinfulness. And this is what he says. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is Isaiah declaring his depravity. I am a sinner. I am lost. Such an act, it is a deep demonstration of humility. God saves sinners like me. This is how the practice of confession forms us as God's people. I don't see myself more highly than I ought. I remember that I need to be saved. I need a Savior. And so I'm thankful and I'm worshipful. For you and I, in confessing sin, we are crying out to God. We are acknowledging that we are sinners in need of grace. So the first thing we declare when we confess sin is, I am a sinner. The second is, I will surrender my will to God. James says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So when, when we sin, whether it's an act of gossip or an, an act of escape or an act of lust, or an act of self-righteousness, or an act of self-reliance. The real issue is not the action. It's, it's the act of submission. It's the act of surrender. There is something that has ruled our hearts other than the Lord and his ways that have captured our worship. As such, Satan has a foothold in our life. Now, this isn't so much an excuse to say, hey, the devil made me do it, but I chose to bow down and worship something other than God. Martin Luther said, every act of sin is a breaking of the first commandment. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. When we confess sin, we are acknowledging we rejected God as the ultimate authority in our lives. So another, another reason we don't want to confess sin is because we don't want to give it up. Right? We like the way alcohol helps us escape. We like to compare our performance to others because it makes us feel worthy and righteous, at least some of the time. We like to daydream and escape because it numbs all the pain and disappointment we have experienced. In some ways, 
This is the type of pride that, that manifests in us holding on to our sinful practices and patterns. Satan and his lies, they provide a source of power. And we want to keep tapping into that source of power. So barrier number three is we lack determination to avoid sin. True confession is a declaration. I choose, excuse me, true confession is a declaration. I chose to reject God. I chose to surrender to someone else or something else. Surrender to self or surrender to affirmation or surrender to success or surrender to pleasure or surrender to comfort. And at the root of that, like Adam and Eve, I chose to listen to Satan and his lies. I chose to listen to his promises to prosper. I chose to surrender to him. Again, such a a statement is very much a declaration of depravity. And I'm saying going forward, I am determined to avoid sin. Rather than surrender to Satan, I will surrender my will to the Lord. So up up till now, we've been talking about confession in somewhat general terms. This could be confession of sin to God through prayer. It could be confession of sin to, to a leader in the church or to a friend or to someone in our gospel community. I want to get specific for a minute. We said earlier, James is laying a foundation for us to confess sins one to another. This is an integral part of this habit of grace. But, but there's this reality that many of us, we'd, we're, we're far more comfortable confessing sins to God in, in our prayer life than confessing sins to brothers and sisters in Christ. Why, why is that? In the book Life Together, author Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes how we often do find it easier to confess sins to God than to a brother or sister in Christ. And he asks the question, if that is the case, are we really pursuing confession? Or are we deceiving ourselves? He makes the point, if we are more comfortable confessing sins to God, perhaps we're not really confessing sin. Perhaps perhaps it is simply a pursuit of self-forgiveness, a way we feel better about the sin we committed. And he says that type of action, self-forgiveness, can never lead to breach with sin. So we must ask the question, are we confessing sins to God out of duty, lacking a real determination to avoid sins in the future, Are we confessing confessing sins to God, seeking some type of relief from the guilt and shame we experience because of sin? Or are we willing to confess sin to others, knowing they will hold us accountable, knowing they will challenge us and follow up on us? In true confession, when we confess our sins to God, we're surrendering that sin is a source of power. And when we confess to brothers and sisters in Christ, we are surrendering that sin as a source of power. We are declaring, I'm surrendering my will. I'm surrendering to the Lord. 
So this is the second declaration we make when we confess sins. Let's move on to the third. My sin is power, sorrowful. James continues, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So the, pa- the passage seems to indicate there were some in the church They either had made peace with sinful practices or they were making light of sin in their life. When they should be grieving sin, they're laughing. When they should be rejecting sin, they are accepting and accommodating. This is obviously an improper response. And so if you're you're tracking with me on some of the barriers, this is the fourth barrier to confession that I'll mention We take sin lightly. In preparation for this sermon, I was reading about an interesting trend on Instagram. Okay, now I'm more, I think you guys know I'm more the Facebook generation, but I do have an Instagram account, although it's not all that active. What we see on Instagram is that individuals are often posting pictures or other content to receive affirmation. I mean, the whole goal is to get likes, right? Historically, these posts have been connected to portraying ourselves in a positive manner, right? You find the perfect moment or the perfect meal or the the perfect meditation. Recently, there's a trend on Instagram of focusing less on portraying self positively and more portraying self in a manner that is raw and real and reflects our brokenness. Okay, here's a quote from the New Yorker. Aspirational photos did better a few years ago, but now users crave posts that seem to be behind the scenes, candid. The art of influencing becomes about relatability. So where the art becomes about portraying ourselves as flawed and broken and raw and real. At their worst, such posts pull the same trick as aspirational content. They leverage insecurity for profit. So here's here's what they're saying. The sharing of faults and failures, maybe even struggles with sin. We're pursuing affirmation. I want to be affirmed that I am flawed. I want to know it's okay that I am sinful. And so we make light of our sin and our brokenness. What I don't want is to be sorry. I don't want to grieve my sin. One of the things we have to worry about as Christians is the idea we need to create safety in order for people to confess sin. I want to be clear about something, and we'll talk about this in a bit. A community of sinners will not be judgmental. They will not condemn others for sin. But the goal of a Christian community is not a safe place for people to, be cu- to discuss sin struggles. Sin is ugly. Sin is messy. Sin is wicked. It's like the garbage in our life. And the safe place to dump your garbage, it's the garbage dump. It's very safe to unload your mess there. No one will judge you for how ugly your garbage is. The dump welcomes and receives your mess with open arms. But unloading your garbage, seeking affirmation as you unload it, that's not confession. As I've had the honor to interact with men who've had the courage to confess struggles with sexual sin, One of the things we'll talk about is, do you see it as wicked? Do you see what you're doing as ugly? 
Now, I use the example of sexual sin, but we could use many others. Your struggles with self-righteousness. Your, your struggles where you worship affirmation. Our struggles looking to food for comfort or looking to forms of media to escape. Our struggles with comparison and envy and jealousy. Do we see those sins as sorrowful? Do we see them as wicked and something to be grieved? Or do we want someone to affirm us in our brokenness? It's okay. I'm broken too. I struggle with that sin too. I understand that's hard. Such a community, while it functions as a sort of support group, it does not point people to the cross. It does not point people to their need for a savior. It does not help them declare the depth of their depravity, helping them understand you are far worse than you think you are. An act of confession is an act where we are humbling ourselves before the Lord. We are saying, I have no hope. Apart from God exalting me, I have nothing to offer. And so the work of the cross not my work. That's the work I'm trusting in. Oh, how we want to be affirmed apart from who we are in Christ. We want our efforts, as broken as they are, to be upheld. The practice of confession, because it is this declaration of our depravity, it is not affirming our efforts. It is not affirming who we are apart from Christ. In a community centered on the cross, they will not affirm any part of that but they will point us to the cross. Listen to, listen to one of my favorite quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody who lives beneath the cross and who has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter wickedness of all men and is in his own heart will find there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. Anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. There is nothing that we will see that is apart or outside of God's grace. Looking at the cross of Jesus, he knows the human heart. He knows how utterly lost it is in sin and weakness and how it goes astray in the ways of sin. And he also knows that it is accepted in grace and mercy. Confession in a community centered on the cross reminds us who we are in Christ. While they challenge, they do not condemn, and they do not pour on guilt and shame. Rather, they affirm in the cross of Christ, sinners are saved. We are made clean and whole. So while, while confession is this declaration of depravity. It is also an exhilarating experience of exaltation. For we remember the good news of the gospel. God exalts sinners. People who are broken and who are needy and who are not relying on their own efforts. People who have surrendered, people who have surrendered their will to Satan. God exalts them. People who have committed grievous and wicked acts. And so while confession is a declaration of our depravity, 
It, it is very much an exhilarating experience of exaltation. So as we conclude, let me, let me talk about three ways to practice confession. One, regularly participate in worship. So there are all sorts of reasons beyond the scope of this sermon to a, attend gathered worship. But for our purposes this morning, each week after the sermon, we pause, we take time to reflect. We say something along the lines of, hey, our, our first response isn't to go do but to cry out for the mercy and grace of God. And so we spend time in silence reflecting on and confessing how we've been awakened to sin in our lives. And so weekly as a church, we grieve our sin. Then we take time to confess our sins corporately. How as a a people we regularly reject God and his ways. We acknowledge how we are guilty of sin together. And after such a confession... We, we receive words of absolution where we remember we are forgiven, that we have been cleansed. And so we regularly surrender sin as a source of power in our lives. Two, reflect regularly. So one way Jesus taught his disciples to pray is using the language and forgive us our debts. So while, the, while this language is kind of general and vague, The application is specific and concrete. There are specific ways we have rejected God. So as we read God's word, we are awakened to areas of sin. As we sit under the teaching of God's word, we become aware of areas in our life where sin is present. And as we interact with community, we we very much become aware of how we can be self-absorbed and selfish. As such, we regularly reflect and confess sins that we've been awakened to. And number three, surrender the last 10%. Now, I've heard this before, and I feel like it needs to be said again and again and again and again. Many of us are willing to confess significant portions of our struggle with sin, but there, there are certain areas we hold back. I remember being in conversation with a guy who struggled with a, a dark form of, of sexual sin. He'd never told anyone. And just to be clear, it's not that he needed to tell someone to be forgiven for that sin, but that 10%, it served as a source of power in his life. It was an ongoing voice of condemnation. If people knew this about me, they would reject me. It was an unwelcome source of temptation. Right? There's this area of sin that I have that no one knows about. I could sin again and no one would ever know. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Here's what we're saying. A community that believes the gospel, that is centered on the cross and believes that sin and the effects of sin 
no longer have power over us. That community, we will be free to confess sins to one another. And we will be free and welcoming in receiving the confession of sins from one another as well. And so may we be the type of community that surrenders the last 10%.